0: Hi folks, welcome again to another episode of Pro Football in the 1970s. I'm your host, Joe Zagorski. Now, thanks to the Sports History Network, a signed copy of my new book, The 2003 Yard Odyssey, The Juice, The Electric Company, and an Epic Run for a Record, will be given away to one lucky fan. It's all about the 1973 Buffalo Bills. Please check out the Sports History Network online for details on how you can win a free copy of my new book on the 1973 Buffalo Bill. Thanks a lot for listening into
1: today's episode, folks. Look forward to chatting with you again soon in the future. Take care. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.
0: Hello, sports fans, and welcome back to this latest edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, where we discuss the best of sports from back in the day. I'm your host, Dana Augusta, and I'm grateful each and every one of you took time out of your busy day, whatever you may be doing, wherever you may be listening to us, to give us a quick listen. And just a reminder, please don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you hear us, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or whether it's on iTunes or whatever, Spotify, wherever. Make sure you take time out to hit that subscribe button if you like what you hear. On today's show, we're going to take a look at the Major League Baseball postseason field and how each one of the teams that's in the Major League Baseball playoffs stack up to the other in historical context. Some have histories that are very well documented and long, while others are actually being written as we watch them every night later on in the show we're going to send a shout out to the very first major league baseball postseason the year was 1969 and major league baseball had divided each league into two divisions and had a five game series to determine a pennant winner the question was the playoffs the result of two seasons earlier when four teams were in contention for the pennant on the final weekend of the regular season And of course, we have the Home Field Apparel Top 5 Historical Events that took place between the dates of October the 9th and October the 15th. And that includes this week, two pro debuts of two NBA icons, two very memorable World Series home runs, and perhaps the most infamous foul ball in the history of baseball. So sit back, pump up the volume, you're listening to the historically speaking sports podcast which is a proud member of the sports history network
2: at the sports history network we're all about the sports yesteryear and so we're pleased to introduce you to row one an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings sports history to life the row one gallery features over 5200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters game program covers game tickets and advertisements in baseball pro and college football pro and college basketball and more any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood metal canvas acrylic or poster paper it's your choice in the row one shop you can pick from thousands of unique items that feature retro and historical backgrounds dating back to 1876. we have everything from clothing to phone cases to mugs even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com backslash row one for access to the full row one catalog. When you buy from the gallery today, you can instantly save 15% on your purchase. All you have to do is enter the code SHN15 and your discount will be applied. That's SHN15. That's it, simple. Save 15% off all your prints in the Row 1 Gallery. Just go to SportsHistoryNetwork.com backslash Row 1. And don't forget to check out all the podcasts on the Sports History Network. Soundtrack provided by Kevin McLeod of Filmmusic.io.
0: Hello, sports fans, and welcome back to the show. I'm Dana Augusta, and you're listening to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, which is a proud member of the Sports History Network. And uh, if you like what you hear here, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And also, you can check us out on Twitter at HistoricallySP2. Or you could drop us a line or two at our email address, which is historically.speaking.sports at gmail.com. And uh, right now, we're in our main event segment of the show. And right now, we're going to take a look at the Postseason field of Major League Baseball, but we're going to take a look at each team from a real quick historical perspective. You know, actually a quick overview of each team's postseason history, some more detailed than others, offering you a guide to your team's place in baseball history. So, with that in mind, we're going to start in the American League. In the first matchup of the Wild Card round, the Cleveland Guardians, the artist formerly known as the Indians knocked off the Tampa Bay Rays to advance to the American League Divisional round of the playoffs. The Guardians, who are one of the charter members of the American League, which was established in 1901, have won only two World Championships, the first in 1920, while their most recent came in 1948, when they defeated the Boston Braves. Since their last World Championship, Cleveland have won the pennant three more times, yet failed to bring any least elusive World Series championship back to Cleveland. Yet the three series that they that they were in, each went seven games, and each were mo- were very memorable in baseball history. Their losses in game in 1995 to Atlanta, 1997 to the Marlins, and most recently in 2016 to the Cubs are three of the most thrilling World Series in the last 30 years. Their opponents in the wildcard round was the Tampa Bay Rays. They joined the American League as an expansion team in 1998, and they play their home games at a place called Tropicana Field. That's one of the best names for a ballpark in my opinion, yet has all the character and atmosphere of a factory warehouse. Yet the Rays have been one of the more consistent winners in the American League over the last dozen years. They have a pair of American League pennants, yet haven't managed to bring home a World Series Championship to Central Florida. And the other wildcard matchup was the Toronto Blue Jays and the Seattle Mariners. Now both teams were American League expansion teams in 1977. And when you think of the Toronto Blue Jays in the postseason, for most people the first image that probably comes to mind is Joe Carter rounding the bases after his walk-off home run in the 1993 World Series against Philly. It was their second of back-to-back world titles. One year after beating the Atlanta Braves in the fall classic in 1992, becoming the first team based outside of the United States to win the World Series. The Blue Jays defeated the wildcard, who was defeating in the wildcard round by Seattle, who are making their first postseason appearance in 21 years. They're the only Major League Baseball team who have not appeared in the World Series, and yet their postseason is very limited, but not without some great moments. The one that really comes to mind is the 1995 Divisional Round against the New York Yankees. In game five, the game went into extra innings, and the Yankees held a one run lead heading into the bottom of the 11th inning in the Great Kingdom. Joey Cora led off the bottom half of the inning as he dragged a bunt down the first baseline and avoided a Don Mattingly tag. After Jack McDowell's first pitch missed low and away, King Griffey Jr. ripped a high strike up the middle to put runners on first and third with no outs. Edgar Martinez now stepped up to the plate after watching a strike then lined a double to the left field fence scoring Cora and Griffey to send the Mariners to the American League Championship Series for the first time ever. Martinez's game-winning hit and aftermath remained the Mariners' most famous moment known in the great Northwest as simply the Edgar Double. The Mariners traveled deep into the heart of Texas and faced the Houston Astros who were once, once again in the American League postseason. They're the defending American League championships and played in three of the last five fall classics, including winning it all in 2017. However, it will be forever tarnished by a sign stealing scandal that rocked baseball that following season. Yet the Astros still remain the only Major League Baseball team to win pennants in both leagues. The Astros, while members of the National League won the 2005 pennant, yet were swept by the Chicago White Sox in the World Series. In the other divisional series, the Guardians will face the New York Yankees. When you talk baseball history, the discussion begins and ends with the most successful team in North American sports. The Yankees have won 27 World Championships more than any other team, and has been, and it yet it's been 13 years since the Bronx Bombers have been to the Fall Classic, their second longest streak since the 15 seasons between 1981 and When he lost to the dodgers in 1995 when he defeated defending champion atlanta braves also the decade of the 2010s is the first decade since the 19 teens that the yankees failed to reach the world series throughout an entire decade the yankees will be looking to get back to the fall classic fall classic a place where they've been more than any other team in major league baseball now moving on to the national league the Philadelphia Phillies, who started as the Philadelphia Quakers in 1883, advanced to the division around the postseason and faced the Atlanta Braves. For most of the 20th century, the Fighting Phillies have been one of the National League's least impressive teams. Yet all of that changed in 1980 when they defeated the Kansas City Royals in the World Series. With stars like Mike Schmidt, Steve Carlton, Tug McGraw, and Pete Rose, the Phillies gave the City of Brotherly Love their first World Series, celebrating their championship on the hard surface of Veterans Stadium. Since then, the Phillies have been, a more, have been one of the more consistent winners in the National League, adding another World Championship in 2008, beating Tampa Bay. Their opponents in the wildcard round were the St. Louis Cardinals. The Cardinals, which started playing in 1882, have won 19 pennants and 11 World Championships the most world championships in the National League. The Cards won their first World Series way back in 1926, when former Philly Grover Cleveland Alexander shut down the New York Yankees in Game 7 for the Cardinals' first ever Fall Classic win. Their list of great players reads like a who's who in Major League Baseball history, with players like Dizzy Dean, Stan Musial, Bob Gibson, and Ozzie Smith. And who could forget about the Gashouse Gang? the Cardinal team that won the 1934 series, beating the Detroit Tigers 11-0 in Detroit. The other National League wildcard matchup pitted two teams that were born in the 1960s, the New York Mets and the San Diego Padres. The Padres knocked off the Mets in three games in a wildcard round or in the postseason for just the seventh time in team history. Now, when you think of the Padres, the first person you think of is Hall of Fame outfielder Tony Gwynn. He was part of both and winning teams in San Diego, yet the Padres have had the distinction of playing the 1984 and 1998 World Series against two teams that will go down to two of the greatest teams in baseball history. In 84, the Padres faced the Tigers, who was managed by the great Sparky Anderson. That season, the Tigers at one point had a record of 35-5 and and were in first place every day of that regular season. They knocked off the Padres in the World Series that year in five games. Later in 1998, the Padres was once again in the World Series, but this time faced the powerful New York Yankees, who had won an American League record, 114 games, and were also in first place for every day of the regular season. They were led by series' most valuable player, Scott Broches. The Yankees went on to sweep the Padres that season. The team that the Padres defeated in the in the first round this year was the New York Mets. They've won two World Series and two of the most famous and most memorable World Series within the last 50 years. The first came in 1969 as the Miracle Mets, a team from most of the 1960s that was buried in the, Mer- in the National League cellar rose up and shocked the world when they won the World Series over the heavily favored Baltimore Orioles. And who could forget 1986? The Mets win their second world title in one of the most incredible, as well as one of the most bizarre World Series ever. When you think of that series, the indelible areas, the indelible image that comes to mind, obviously, is in game six. When a ground ball by Mookie Wilson went through the legs of Boston first baseman Bill Buckner, forcing a game Seven. In 1969, the Mets won the first ever National League Championship Series and ended up sweeping the Braves. That would begin one of the biggest rivalries in the National League. The Braves are now the defending World Series champions and have four total World Series championships. The Braves, as well as the NFL's Los Los Angeles Rams, are the only team in pro sports to win three championships while based in three different cities. In the Braves case, they won it in 1914 as the Boston Braves. Then later in 1957, they had defeated the New York Yankees as the Milwaukee Braves. And then finally in 1995, beating Cleveland as the Atlanta Braves. And since the Braves, since the Braves in the 1990s have been, a model of, have been a model of consistency. At one point, Atlanta won 14 consecutive National League East titles and are currently on a streak of five consecutive. Rounding out the National League postseason field is the Los Angeles Dodgers. The team, of course, that began in Brooklyn in 1890 as the Brooklyn Bridegrooms. The team went through many different names, such as the Brooklyn Tip Tops, the Superbas, the Robins, the Trolley Dodgers, and finally shortened to the Dodgers. As a team, the Dodgers have won the most National League pennants with 21, yet have won the series just seven times including their first in 1955. The only one they ever won is the Brooklyn Dodgers. During their time in Brooklyn, they played in one of the most revered and well-known ballparks in baseball history, the Taj Mahal of the Borough of Brooklyn, Ebbets Field, location in a section of a borough called Flatbush. After moving to the West Coast in 1958, the Dodgers' winning ways continued, claiming the 1959 World Series over White Sox. It would be the first of six series championships for the Dodgers while residing on the West Coast. One of those came in 1988, when L.A. upset the heavily favored Oakland A's thanks to a dramatic home run by a hobbled Kirk Gibson and the pitching of Oral Hershiser. Their last World Series came in the pandemic-shortened 2020 season, when the Dodgers defeated the Rays in six games in Arlington, claiming their seventh World Series championship. So far, it has been a very exciting postseason so far as the Padres will face the Phillies in the National League Championship while the Astros, at the time of this recording, are waiting for the winner between the Guardians and the Yankees. And that will do it here for this episode's main event. And coming up next, we'll have our home field apparel top five, which is the top five historical events that happened in the world of sports that are celebrating anniversaries this week. And this week was a very eventful one, including the debut of two NBA icons, two of the most memorable home runs in baseball history, and perhaps the most infamous foul ball in baseball history. So please don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
2: We here at the Sports History Network proudly partner with 26 podcasts, all revolving around the history of sports. But did you know that many of our hosts were sports history authors way before they started their shows? It's true. We've got Joe Ziemba, host of When Football Was Football. Joe Zagurski, host of Pro Football in the 1970s. Mark Morthier, host of Yesterday Sports. Tommy Phillips, host of Lombardi Memories. And Scott Adamson, co-host of From the 55 Yard Line. All these authors have many books for you to choose from. To check them out, go to our website at sportshistorynetwork.com slash sportshistorybooks. Pick up your copy today! Soundtrack provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io
0: Hello, welcome back to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, where we focus on the best of sports from back in the day. And just to remind everyone out there, you could follow us on Twitter at historicallysp2 to get your daily dose of sports history. And in addition to that, you could also drop us a line or two at historically.speaking.sports at gmail.com. And right now, it's time for the Home Field Apparel Top Five. Home Field Apparel is the sponsor of our episodic Top Five, where we count down the five biggest historic moments in the world of sports history that are celebrating anniversaries. And it's brought, being brought to you by Home Field Apparel. The college football season right now is in full swing thanks to the great game the, a couple days ago between Tennessee and Alabama. So the best way to show off your school spirit when you attend your team's games is to wear a shirt or a hoodie from Home Field Apparel. They have a wide range of styles for your college for favorite college football team with what I call old school logos. And to not only make you stand out in the crowd, but also show that you are a true fan. They have shirts that represent close to 200 schools and adding more schools and more styles every day. On their their website, you can hit the rewards button located at the bottom of the screen and get 20% off your next purchase if you refer a friend to the site. So give Home Field Apparel a try for your next tailgate. That's Home Field Apparel, where they study your school's history, traditions, and legacies to create thoughtful premium apparel. A must-have for your next tailgate. Once again, home field apparel where they are fond of saying, wear one for the team. And now, on to our countdown. And this week's countdown deals with historical moments that celebrated anniversaries this week. So without further delay, here's the top five events in sports history that took place between the dates of October the 9th and October the 15th. Number five. The Yankees named Casey Stengel manager. On October 12, 12th, 1948, the New York Yankees were coming off of a 94-60 regular season, yet finished just two and a half games behind the World Series winning Cleveland Indians. They replaced their manager, Bucky Harris, with a former manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers and Boston Braves by the name of Charles Dillon Casey Stengel. Yankee General Manager George Weiss brought him over after a successful stint in the minor leagues, and from his arrival in the Bronx until he was released by the Yankees in 1960, the old professor led the Yankees to five consecutive World Series championships, seven in all, and a total of 10 American League pennants. Number 4 Cub fan Steve Bartman interferes with a Moises Alou on a foul ball. On October 14, 2003, in the eighth inning of Game 6 of the National League Championship Series between the Florida Marlins and the Chicago Cubs, occurred one of the most infamous foul balls in baseball history. At Wrigley Field in Chicago, with the Cubs holding a 3-0 lead and having a three games to two lead in the series, Marlins batter Luis Castillo hit a fly ball into foul territory in left field. Cubs outfielder Moises Alou tracked the ball into foul ground to make the catch. As he was drifting along the fence and reaching up to make the catch that would have been the second out of the inning, Cubs fan Steve Bartman reached up to catch the souvenir and inadvertently deflected the ball away from Alou and the umpire judged the play not to be fan interference. If Alou would have caught the ball, the Cubs would have been just four outs away from their first pin of the 1945. Yet as a result, the the Cubs experienced one of the most incredible meltdowns in postseason history. In the next half inning, the Cubs would score 8 runs in the inning and ended up losing the game 8-3 and eventually the series. As for Steve Bartman, Cubs fans shouted insults and threw debris at him and he had to be ushered out of the stadium for his protection. Minutes after the game, his name and personal information was actually published online, necessitating police protection at his home. Number 3. Kirk Gibson hits a dramatic home run in World Series opener. On October 15, 1988, the Los Angeles Dodgers were taking on the Oakland A's in the first game of the World Series. Late in the game, the A's were holding a slim 4-3 lead at Dodger Stadium. Dodger manager Tommy Lasada called up Kirk Gibson to pitch hit against the best closer in baseball that year, Dennis Eckersley. Gibson, who was hobbled with two injured legs. In fact, legendary Dodger broadcaster Vin Scully, who was calling the game for NBC, remarked not only can he, he can't push off to swing the bat, he can't land after he swings it. After fouling off pitch after pitch, Eckersley threw a fastball down the center of the plate. At that moment, Gibson connected and sent the relievers offering deep into the right field bleachers for an improbable two-run walk-off home run that stunned Oakland. The Dodgers had claimed a 5-4 win in Game 1, and with that home run and along with Earl Hershizer's pitching, it would propel the Dodgers to another World Series championship. Number 2 Larry Bird and Magic Johnson make their NBA debuts. On October the 12th, 1979, two of the biggest stars of college basketball from the season before made their pro debuts in the NBA. The star of the team that finished the tournament as the runner-up, Indiana State, Larry Bird made his NBA debut on on this night as the team selected him, the Boston Celtics, took on the Houston Rockets in historic Boston Garden. The game was also notable for another reason. Celtic guard Chris Ford connected on the first three-pointer in NBA history. The three-point field goal, which was a staple in the the ABA, was brought to the NBA in the offseason and Ford connected on the first three-pointer ever. The Celtics would claim a 114-106 win over the Rockets as Bird finished with 14 points, 10 rebounds, and 5 assists. Later that, later that night on the West Coast, Burr's rival in the most recent NCAA championship game, Magic Johnson, was picked by the Los Angeles Lakers and would take on the San Diego Clippers at the San Diego Sports Arena. In his debut on the West Coast, Magic scored 26 points, but the Clippers countered with World b Free, who finished with a game-high 46 points. However, the, the game came down to the final possession. The ball was inbounded to Kareem Abdul Jabbar and he connected on a high arcing skyhook as regulation inspired, expired to give the Lakers a thrilling 103 to 102 win over their Southern California rivals. Kareem led the Lakers with 26 points in that thrilling debut for Magic. And the number one event that took place between the dates of October the 9th and October the 15th in sports history. Bill Mazeroski his World Series-clinching home run in the 1960 Fall Classic. On paper, it seemed like one of the biggest mismatches in World Series history. The powerful New York Yankees were in the World Series once again for the 10th time in 12 years under manager Casey Stengel. Meanwhile, their opponents, the Pittsburgh Pirates, were making their first World Series appearance since 1927. The series went the full 7 games, surprisingly, yet, when the Yankees won in the series, they won big. In the three games that the Yankees won, the Bronx Bombers outscored the Pirates 38-3. While the Yankee roster was filled with names of baseball lore, such as Mickey Mantle, Whitey Ford, and Yogi Berra, the Pirates had great players in their own right such as pitchers Roy Face, Vern Law, and Harvey Haddix. While at the plate, Pittsburgh was led by a second baseman, Bill Mazeroski, and a young outfielder named Roberto Clemente. The series went the full seven games and it came down to the final inning at historic Forbes Field in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh scored five runs in the bottom of the eighth to take a 9-7 lead heading into the top of the ninth. But, with the, Yankees, but the Yankees would tie the game 9-9 when Gil McDougall and Bobby Richardson both scored on singles. With the game tied 9-9 in the bottom of the ninth inning, Ralph Terry faced Bill Mazeroski. The Pirates' second baseman blasted the very first Terry pitch deep into left field over the head of Yogi Berra and over the left field wall at Forest Field to give the Pirates their first World Series championship since 1925. Mazeroski's shot was the first time that the World Series had ever ended on a home run. And that would do it for this edition of the Home Field Apparel Top 5. And coming up next, we're going to take a trip back to the very first Major League Baseball postseason in our shout segment. So, don't go anywhere.
2: Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that. Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network. The soundtrack is provided by Raphael Crux from Filmmusic.io.
0: And we're back, folks, for the third and final segment of the show, which we call The Shoutout. And today we're going to send a shout-out to the year of 1969. So many things happened outside of sports, including the moon landing and Woodstock in that year. Yet, in the world of Major League Baseball, it was one of the most important years in its history. For one, that year marked the 100th anniversary of professional baseball. Also in 1969, it marked the third time in the decade that baseball would be adding expansion teams. Both in the American League and the National League, two teams were adding to the standings. In the American League, baseball returned to Kansas City. When the A's left the the Heartland in 1966, the American League replaced them with the new Kansas City Royals. Meanwhile, the City of Seattle got the newly formed Seattle Pilots. However, the Pilots would only last one season in the Great Northwest and would move on to replace the Braves in Milwaukee and become the Brewers a year later. Meanwhile, in the National League, a new team was established on the West Coast At the San Diego Padres would begin play in the new state-of-the-art stadium recently completed in Mission Valley, known as San Diego Stadium, which would later become Jack Murphy Stadium. Also in 1969, it marked the first time that Major League Baseball would venture north of the border as they would welcome the Montreal Expos to the National League. With these new teams, Major League Baseball decided on something called realignment, deciding, dis- dividing each league into 2 16 six-team divisions, and, two team- and the two teams that won each division would face off in a five-game postseason series to determine the pennant. In the newly formed National League East included the New York Mets, Philadelphia Phillies, Montreal Expos, Chicago Cubs, Pittsburgh Pirates, and St. Louis Cardinals. The National League West featured the Atlanta Braves, San Francisco Giants, San Diego Padres, Los Angeles Dodgers, Cincinnati Reds, and Houston Astros. Over in the American League, the Eastern Division included the Boston Red Sox, Baltimore Orioles, Detroit Tigers, New York Yankees, Washington Senators, and Cleveland Indians. And in the West, we had Minnesota, California Angels, oakland A's, Kansas City Royals, Chicago White Sox, and the Seattle Pilots. A playoff format had been in discussion for several years prior to 1969. The biggest case came just two seasons earlier as four teams, the Boston Red Sox, Detroit Tigers, Chicago White Sox, and the Minnesota Twins, were each in a virtual tie heading into the final weekend of the regular season. With the divisional format in place, 1969 would have, for the first time ever, a championship series. In the National League, the Atlanta Braves, led by Hank Aaron, won the first ever National League West title with a record of 93-69. and Meanwhile, the surprise team of the decade won the Eastern Division, the New York Mets, or what is known as the Miracle Mets. That team from Queens finished with a mark of 162, by far their best finish in franchise history up to that point. In the American League, the two teams that dominated the American League for the better part of a decade would face off for the first ever in the ALCS. As the Baltimore Orioles, who had won the World Series in 1966, were face off against Western Division champion Minnesota Twins, who reached the World Series for the first time as the Twins in 1965, ultimately losing to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And as it turned out, both series would be anticlimactic as the Mets and Orioles swept their series in three games, setting up the 1969 World Series that seen the Miracle Mets take their place in baseball lore by beating Baltimore in five games. And so that was our shout out for this episode, which was the 1969 regular season and postseason in Major League Baseball. And I'd like to thank each and every one of you for joining me on this journey down sports memory lane for this episode. And just a reminder, if you like what you hear here, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And please follow me at HistoricallySP2 on Twitter. And also drop me a line or two at historically.speaking.sports at gmail.com. And until next time, I'm your host, Dana Augusta, saying thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.
1: Sports history fan, this is Arnie Chapman, aka the football history dude, and I hope that you enjoyed this recent episode presented by the Sports History Network and were able to learn some good old fashioned sports history knowledge nuggets. I started the Sports History Network back in 2020 with the mission to help podcasters find a community of like minded sports history nerds as well as helping aspiring podcasters to start their own shows. We have a little bit over 30 shows on the network right now covering all sorts of sports history. But as far as I'm concerned, we're just at the toothpick in the ocean moment. You know that. Can't even figure it out because there's so much more coming. We wanted to create the ultimate headquarters for sports gesture year. Starting with Podcast Network and our website, but we're going to continue to move into other mediums as well. And here's the cool part, because we want you to be part of our team. So if you're interested in starting your own podcast... Or maybe being a guest on one of our shows. Or who knows, maybe even writing an article for us over on the website. Seriously, all you gotta do is reach out to us on the contact page over at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. You can be as technologically savvy as a Neanderthal tapping on a stone trying to figure out this whole hieroglyphics thing back in the day. Again, it doesn't matter. Because even if you don't understand the whole podcast space, we have a production team that can pretty much help you out with doing everything. All you gotta do, head over to Sports. HistoryNetwork.com, head to the contact page, fill it out. That message goes right to me, and I'll reach out to you as soon as I can. But for now, dude, I'm through if you're through.